Hello, I'm Tracy Carlton Ward and this is Sweat, Grit and Hustle. Today I am joined by a wonderful gentleman, Mr. Ken Abbott of Ken Abbott Photography. And Ken's been a professional photographer now for six years, but that is not where life started. He was previously in a completely unrelated industry. So if you're listening and you're in one industry, but you want to go and build a business from your passion, this is the one to tune into. Ken, welcome. It's great to have you here. And it's great to be here. Fab. So I know you've not always been a professional photographer. So where did life start for you after your school days? Uh, well, after after school, after I left sixth form, um, I did the classic sort of traveling around Europe. And in those days, it was interrail and, and stuff. So I did that for a few years. And then three years later, I decided it was time to go to university. So I went to Portsmouth University and did history. Um, his, history has always been my one of my great passions. Um, so I did that for three years and then I've never really used it again, like like most history graduates. So I, I went I ended up working for telemarketing companies as a trainer. So the sort of first part of my um, my my working life was sort of training people to take calls, um, training on, on particular campaigns. And from there, I drifted into IT and became an IT trainer. Like a lot of people, it, none of that was planned whatsoever. It just, it just sort of happened as as time went by. Yeah, that that tends to be the case, doesn't it? I ended up getting into IT by accident, and it just drifted into it and stayed in it for over twenty five years, which was fun. So you had a bit of a gap year that turned into three years. Yep. So how did you survive around Europe? You know, presumably you'd got to pay for accommodation. So what were you up to during those three oh, years um, to pay for well, that? What I did is I sort of was working in various temp jobs at home just to, you know, earn earn money. I was still living at home at the time. So I had to just save enough to go basically and 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 off I would go. And it was in the classic interrail days, you know, which, which interrail still exists, but not as it did. So you had your 30, 30 day pass to go around Europe, just travel wherever you want. So, sometimes it was a a very planned trip, but other times sort of less planned or it, it, the plan went out the window halfway through. It was great. You could be in the middle of, I don't know, I remember once I was in Sweden and, and we decided to go to Greece. So, you know, did you just head down get your timetable and head down. And, and obviously it was all on a, on a budget as well. There used to, there used to be a very, very famous book called Europe on $10 a day. And that was the sort of interrailers Bible, if you like, for finding all these cheap hotels and, and whatever. Wow. So that's, that's, that's how I sort of, you know, financed it. Fab. So when you ended up getting into work by accident, I'm assuming you were working for other companies at that time, yep. were you? How, yes. how was so life I, as a corporate employee? I mean, looking back, it was just, you know, something you did. I, I worked for BT for quite a while, but they they had this call centre. I mean, it, it sort of started in the temp jobs. I was just, you know, as a classic thing, temping in a call centre. And then it just turned into working full time. So I was just training people on customer service. I, I used to quite enjoy that. I do enjoy training quite a lot or just passing on things. I enjoy I enjoy very much being given a, 
a whole bundle of information and have to turn it into sort of a form that you can then pass on to people so they easily understand and, and take the calls or whatever. So I did that for quite a few years. I did then went on to some other companies and did that. And yeah, it was something I I I I didn't enjoy working in an office in the sense of all the office politics and you know bosses and and things like that. But the actual day to day job I quite enjoyed. Wow, and it's quite funny actually how often BT crops up. Um, mm. I ended my corporate career with BT. Which well, I'm, I'm the office. I I, I started with mine. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, people old enough will remember the um, when the Thatcher government sold off all the utilities like British Gas and things and people could buy shares in them. Was that um, Sid? Was BT the Sid yeah, one? Yeah, that's right. So BT had, as well as BT being sold off itself, BT had the contracts to administer all that. So that that was one of the things I sort of did. So, you know, people were ringing up to buy shares and, and et cetera. So, yeah, that was, but you're quite right. I think particularly over a period of time, lots of people end up working for BT in one shape or form. It's crazy, isn't it? But, I mean, while I was there, it it, it seems logical because of the size of that company. You know, mm. there's people that say, oh, did you know Bob in so-and-so? And I'm like, no, BT was massive. Yes, it was huge. <laughs> yeah, but it was good. It was just corporate. It was time for me to come out of corporate. So, um, prior to getting into photography, you set up a freelance business all linked to your IT services. So, you know, what made you choose to actually start that process of being in business for yourself? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I think choose is the wrong wrong word for that. I, I was working for a small company in Bristol and I got in it. It, well, I was doing ostensibly IT training. Um, they, they sold me the job as IT training. When I got into it, it was 90% IT support. Um, but it was a small company. It was quite nice to work for. But unfortunately, they went into administration, not because of me, but it just, you know, one day I didn't have a job, basically. Um, and to a friend, I'd been doing a little bit of database development. And I just thought, you know, if, if ever I'm going to work for myself, this is the time. Um, you know, I didn't have a job. I thought I'd go into it. Um, and I did that for the next 15 years. You know, um, databases for small businesses, complex spreadsheets, you know, all, all that sort of thing. And, it, you know, for a long time, it was it was fine. It was interesting. I got some, you know, nice long term contracts whether whether you know where I traveled a bit my my highlight was two trips to Lithuania um, which was which was very 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 interesting but you know like a lot of things I I ran out of steam with it a bit I I always tell people that you know my my doctor told me I had to give it up because developing spreadsheets was far too exciting (laughs) and exciting (laughs) the excitement was getting too much for me so yeah and then so so and well, what what really triggered it? I had I had two big clients that were paying you know good good part of the bills, and for various reasons they both sort of went at the same time. Yeah. Um, they they just well, one one in particular the biggest one got bought out by another company and they had an IT department, so that was the end of me. So there was there was a sort of natural break where I had to decide: do I go and find you know clients to replace them or do I do something different yeah that's the thing in business isn't it if if you've got 
like a, one or two big clients and the the rest of your business is smaller or non-existent, then you are, I guess, a little bit at the mercy of what happens to the customers, aren't mm. you, really? Yeah, I mean, I did the classic thing that I've heard so many other people say of just be, becoming too reliant on one client. But it is it is difficult to avoid because, you know, I started working for them sort of a day a month and that expanded and expanded. So, you know, I had, in, in a way, I had no choice but to let them become so big. Well, the choice was is to at some stage say, look, you know, I, I don't want to do more than a certain number of days with you a month, but then they probably would have said, okay, we'll find someone else. So, you know, it just sort of expanded to, to you know, it was, you know, the, the lion's share of my income, if you like, over, you know, a period of time. So, you know, and there just wasn't time. I couldn't take on many other clients because I wouldn't have had time sort of to do it um so I was very exposed but it was it just sort of happened and I was quite ha- you know happy it, it sort of happened and it did pay the bills very well for quite a f- you know quite a few years yeah and I think that is you know when you're in that contracting stroke freelance space where you're effectively trading time for money mm. um yeah it's great I mean I did contracting for quite a few years although I decided to give that in once I had my son because you needed the security. But it was a case of, you know, you're freelance, you're contracting, you've often got a big client and you've got two choices of business. You either expand and bring on more people so you orchestrate other people doing the same or like you say, you accept that you're working for one or two clients and there isn't time to actually put more clients in anyway. Mm. So, And I think, I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, I think the way I worked in IT, I mean, particularly this, this company I was talking about, I, you know, I, I would always be very good at developing personal relationships with them. I mean, this this one, you know, one company, I used to get invited to the Christmas do every year and, 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 and things like that. So it was very much, they were, you know, they were very much buying me. Yeah. Um, so if I turned around and said, look, you know, I found I've employed someone now who'll do some of the, you know, some of the work that I don't think I think that would have harmed the relationship quite, yeah. quite a lot. Um, so but, you know, it, it was what it was. And I think in, in some ways, when I, that finished, it sort of coincided with me wanting to move on and do something else anyway. Which is cool. So you mentioned one of your highlights what was probably the most memorable low light that you had during that time freelancing? Um, mostly, mostly, I, I, as I say, developed a very good you know, relationship with clients. Um, a couple of it, it just didn't work out. I mean, I, I you know, I made all the mistakes everyone makes, uh, and sometimes I was just far too accommodating. Um, and yeah, I think what everyone will say you find that if you're too accommodating with a client, um, it can actually backfire on you quite a lot yeah. because you're sort of you're giving them a, a lot um, and being very flexible. But then they just expect you to do that all the time. And there was one I mean, I found and this is, this is probably a bit unfair, but I think a lot of the smaller jobs were the worst ones where you're working with bigger companies. They They get you know, that they, that, you know, they, they're paying you to do a job, but it's not sort of endless. Whereas some of the smaller companies, you know, there was one in Portishead, a stair lift company. And, and I, I was so accommodating. They kept changing their mind. And I should have just said, you know, well, you've paid for this. If you want 
more you're going to have to pay for more and I was too accommodating um and in the end because I eventually sort of wasn't accommodating anymore even though they weren't paying me any else they got really really funny with me um and I I think I've told that story to other people and they've said yes you know that that they've had similar experiences so that that was probably um the the low light I I remember the um the guy the MD well, it was only a small company. He wrote me a, an email um, when he got, he was sort of, you know, got really annoyed. I, I wasn't doing stuff. And um, he described, I always remember this, he described my um, behavior or my, you know, service or whatever as despicable. Wow. It's the only time in my life I've ever been called despicable. So it was, it was almost worth it for that. But they, you know, it, that is a classic case you know people always say the customer is always right they weren't in that case they were yeah. being incredibly unreasonable but the seeds of that was that I'd been giving them too much leeway if you like and they you know I, I, I it, it rarely happens but sometimes I think customers are like children you know what children are like yeah. you give them too much leeway it becomes a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so that, that to answer your question, that was that was probably the low light, but it was it was almost worth it just to be called despicable. Yeah. Well, hey, they've made a film by that name now, so what a brilliant yes. thing to be called. But yeah, it's 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 like me, you know. Some of my clients have the privilege of basically being able to pick up the phone to me, and effectively, we call it, you know, Tracy on tap. But what I do jokingly say to all of them. You know, yes, I am on tap, but at the end of the day, if you call me at nine o'clock on a Sunday, there's not a lot I can do before Monday morning. So don't expect me to answer. Or if I answer, you'll be told to wait till Monday. And that all came out of the same thing where I gave somebody effectively, let's say, too much. And they they would regularly call me at nine o'clock on nine and ten o'clock on a Sunday night. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Have you not got something else you can do other than work? Because they were working to be calling me. But I always find it funny. But I guess it's also a great lesson there for people that are listening in. You know, if you're doing freelance or contracting and it's not the kind of contracting where you're working 40 hours a week for one person, then make sure you have your contract or your terms, as it were, what you are going to do for the customer in writing and signed. That way you're already sending the message that Mm. this is for me to do that. And at the bottom of all your quotes, it can be, you know, if there are any other items required, then these will be costed separately. Mm. And the reason why I think it's a brilliant lesson is um, I know in the building trade, that's one of the biggest times that that impacts people. You know, you, you builder will quote for the work they're doing. They'll turn up to a site and it's quite common for people to vary what they want doing with a oh while you're here can you just do that and the number of builders i've heard go absolutely a because at the end of the job the customer doesn't want to pay for the while you're here can you do that and i always say the same thing to them where was your variations log and at what point did you say, please sign this in order to accept mm. that this is what you get charged? So I think that was a, a great chance to raise a lesson to help other people. So six years ago, you'd been doing freelance, getting you know warnings from your doctor that doing spreadsheets was too exciting. Mm-hmm. And you suddenly moved and became a professional photographer. Massive switch. So this was... 
I'm assuming is a passion you had that you decided to turn into a business. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, I mean, I, I mean, the, the roots of it really started about three years before um, because um, we'd in very short time, within four years, we'd had three children, which was obviously very, very challenging. I was doing the IT and my wife sort of said to me, you, you know, you need to go and find a hobby. Right? You know, there's, there's, you know, you're getting so stressed, you need some, some sort of outlet. And I'd always sort of dabbled in photography and I was in, in that situation where I, a lot of photographers, budding photographers I meet now, exactly they, they would like to be a photographer but they don't believe they could be one yeah um and so I went to the um I, I went to the photography show in Birmingham in 2014 um I thought well let's just go and you know see if this is for me and um I just got just sort of bitten I saw all this stuff and I bought um some camera equipment I had a very basic camera but I bought this camera and 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 lenses and stuff but I always remember I, I spent just over a thousand pounds and when I rang to, to tell my wife the good news, um, for some reason, she wasn't very pleased. <laughs> um, she, she said, well, wait, you know, we, we, we haven't got all that money. And I said, well, you told me to get a hobby. So anyway, I, I cut a very long story short. I, I related this humorous um, story on Facebook, um, which didn't really cheer her up anymore. Um, but by coincidence, and this this is where I think life really works. We all have our plans in life, you know, and stuff like that. But it's actually the things that really um, just fall in for your way. And an old friend I hadn't seen for years ran a um, was chairman of an amateur dramatics company. And the next day after I would put this on Facebook, they had a dress rehearsal of their next show and their photographer had let them down at the last minute. So he said, I've seen you've got this new camera. Could you come along and do it? Um, I said, well, look, I've never done anything like that this before. He said, nope, that's fine. Don't don't worry. Um, and I'd actually been in some amateur dramatics, a, a company some years before. It's where I actually met my wife. I used to do the technical stuff. And, you know, it was all very it was in a church hall and, you know, the, the, the vicar making the tea and stuff like that. So I thought, well, how hard can this be? You know, I'll just go along and do this. And what he hadn't told me, he, he was actually chairman of this company in, in Bath. And though technically it's amateur, it's the oldest in the country. And once a year, they um, got to put on a show at the Bath Theatre Royal. So when I turned up to meet him, he took me in and suddenly I was in the Bath Theatre Royal. And he said, here you go, you've got the run of the place because it was a dress rehearsal. Wow. Um, and I suddenly thought to myself, my God. And then I thought, well, I've, I've not pretended to be anything I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm doing this as a favour. Um, so it's a total disaster. You know, they, no one can blame me. I just, they started the rest. It was a, the musical version of Witches of Eastwick. And it was one of those things where, you know, duck to water. I, I suddenly was, was taking pictures and it was great having run of this, you know, great old theatre. It, it, it suddenly felt, felt so natural. It would have been like I was doing it all my life. Um, so I produced the pictures and, and gave them to him the next day. And I think even I was astonished how good they were. And I think it's it's I think it's for anyone. You've got this maybe one thing that you can do really well, you know, and there's millions of things I'm absolutely hopeless at. But, you know, and I think for anyone, you can stumble across it at any time in your life. Um, so so, you know, I thought, right, well, this is this is this is interesting. So I then went on and did a, a lot of theatre work because other theatre groups in Bath. I've got hundreds of theatre groups. So I was working a lot in Bath. 
So that's really how I got into the photography. So, you know, a couple of years later when the IT thing, you know, stopped and everything, it, it just seemed to be the natural thing to do. I think looking back, if somebody was in the same position now, I would say to them, don't burn all your bridges. You know, I think I should have kept some IT work and sort of done a tr transition to one to the other. Um, I think it was too big a leap in one go. Um, but, you know, it, it was, you know, suddenly I, I found something. I'd always felt that I was quite good at IT. Yeah. Um, but with the photography, you know, it, it suddenly was, a, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a glove that suddenly fitted perfectly. What a wonderful share of how that came about. Now, when we're talking about businesses, I mean, for most people, professional photographer, the mind might go to weddings, you know, wildlife, nature, all that sort of stuff. But there is an element where photography has a part to play in business. So where would you say businesses could get a benefit from using a professional photographer? Um, I mean, that is that is an, a very good question. And it's 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 interesting how the answer to that has changed. Right. Um, you know, certainly from the pre-internet era. But I would say it's changed. You know, if you if we could go back in time and you ask that question at different parts, it, you know, the answer would be very different, even from five years ago. Yeah. You know, because um, traditionally, you know, a, a, a business needed um a photographer for sort of you know advertising copy before the internet you know they would they would have a, an advert in a magazine or they might you know have an article or whatever we then got to the internet years and suddenly had this thing the you know website so you know people would have pictures on the website but a lot of those were sort of one-off pictures you know where um, even now this still happens you went to the about about us page and saw some very serious looking photographs yeah. <laughs> of, you know this, this is our staff and everything mug shots um, as I like to call them yeah exactly you know and then you'd maybe have just a, you know a, a shot in the header of, of something but of course you know the the biggest change has been social media so you know people you know now need a lot of photography if you talk to marketing people particularly you know online marketing people they'll talk about their your your bucket your bucket full of photography assets somebody described it to me you know that you need this a a constant change you know that people are uh, and and on social media if you're putting out anything from linkedin posts or whatever you know there's you know all sorts of stats about how much more people notice them if they've got a photograph with yeah. them you know but if it's the same photograph every time that's not going to get no. you anywhere basically you know, um, and so, you know, you have this this big pot of, of photographs and it goes I mean, it goes well beyond, you know, you still have a, a headshot, if you like, although those have changed as well. You know, people tend to, um, you know, the, the old serious ones have gone, basically, you know, and I, I always say to someone, what you know, what does that headshot tell people about you? And this is obviously very important for small businesses or just, you know, one one person businesses because you're everything, you know. And it, it's it's a little bugbear of me the number of times I will see someone's headshot, um, you know, maybe on their LinkedIn posts or whatever, and then meet them in person um, or even meet them on a Zoom call. And you suddenly think, well, that's not the person I was expecting to meet. Yeah. You know, and the, the problem with a lot of headshots for, for um, people is they tend to view them like 
you know, they dress up as if they go into a wedding, their very best version of themselves, you know, and when you go to a meeting, you know, in general business or whatever, how many times do you turn up looking like that? You know, and it's, I think, I think your, your profile pictures are all your photography must reflect you. Yeah. If you like there's, there's an old saying in, in photography from years ago, it came, I think, but, and it goes something like, you know, even, and, and when I finally met them, even their voice sounded different to it did in their photograph. Um, Interesting comment, silly, a voice sounding different to what it yeah, looked in the photograph. But you're you almost right. Speak, you almost look at someone's photograph and you imagine how they're going to be. And obviously yeah. you can't hear their voice, but suddenly their, their, their whole personality, how they sound is different. So I say, you know, I, I, I take photos of, of people to, you know, capture how their voice is going to sound. Um, and because of the whole social media thing, it's now much more, I mean, there's a lot less studio photography going yeah. on. You know, a while ago, you'd have gone to a studio and then a headshot, whereas now, I mean, my, my approach is basically if, if, you know, is to sit down with people um, for, say, you know, two or three hours. And I just sit down and start, and particularly if it's people I don't know at all, and just sit somewhere and have a coffee and just talk to them. Um, a, because for, you know, most people don't really like having their photos taken. So you need to sort of just, you know, relax them and, and you're just having a chat. Um, but also just to, you know, to, to, for me to get a handle on them, if you like. Um, and then, you know, like stay in the coffee shop, might go for a walk, might do something. And I always, I always do it as if we're just meeting for a coffee or whatever it is. And incidental to that is I'll take some photos, you know, and I've, I've even had after an hour or so, you know, I've said, you might say to people, I've got some great photos and they've not even realized we've started almost, you know, giving all my secrets away now. But wow. I think, you know, that's how you capture that natural person, you know, and it's it's um, and, and sometimes it's easier than other times. Some people settle into it quickly. Um, I, I, I photographed a, a lovely lady about three weeks ago. She'd never had a photo shoot before and she was so nervous about it. She said that when she'd woken up on the morning, um, she felt like she wanted to vomit. Wow. And I said, Good, that, that's a that's a, a wonderful testimonial I must put on my website. But the point was, she was so nervous, but by the end of it, she she was totally calm, you know, and just sort of calmed down. Because if, if you don't, uh, you know, half of this, you know, my the, the way I do photography or any photography really is how you, you interact with the subject. Because if the subject's uptight, and not relaxed, you're never going to get good photos. No. And a lot so of people do, they, a lot of people are uncomfortable in front of the camera. Mm. But it's like, so, you know, yeah, if you're a business that's selling physical product, you'll probably need to get professional shots of your product. I know some of you out there will use your phones because these days the camera phones are actually more powerful than my original digital camera years mm. ago. Yep. But at the end of the day, a professional photographer isn't just about what phone they're using. It's about how they put that picture together, seeing the right image to sit in front of that screen. So if you have got a product business, it may be beneficial for you to get a professional photographer to do your products, even if all you're doing is selling on Etsy. If you're a small to medium business, I'd say, if nothing else, think about getting some natural images of you instead of the traditional headshots so that you at least have something for all your profiles that is common, mm. consistent. But as Ken has said, 
is actually an element of you, not something that isn't you. I think that's lovely, Ken. Now, for people that are out there that maybe have got a passion and a passion in photography and they're at that stage of thinking, I'd love to go and start up as a professional photographer. What guide and tips could you give them for turning their passion into that profession? Um, I mean, you know, the, the common thing people say about any creative industry, you know, you can be absolutely brilliant at it, but obviously you've then got to understand how you market it, you know, how you do your sales and things. And most most photographers are set up as a, a photographer will fail because of that. Yeah. You know, that it's, and, and in, a, in a sense, sometimes, you know, the, the, the actual passion you've got for the photography can get lost in it. You've also, to some extent, got to learn to, you know, compromise. So, you know, some commercial jobs, people want specific things and you may want to do it differently. So it's, it's, it's you know, you've got to think of that as well. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, even as I, I mentioned earlier on, I, I would say, you know, for anyone, don't jump straight into it. You know, it's there's a lot of part-time photographers now um, and that's a very good way of getting into it. And also it isn't, you know, you need you need certain other skills than photography. I always, you know, I always use the example of, you know, you can be a brilliant amateur photographer. And there's a lot of amateur photographers that the better than professional yeah. photographers. There's nothing magical about being a professional photographer. But if you've, you know, got used to taking family pictures, taking your friends and everything, and and you know, doing really great people shots, for example. You've got to think to yourself, you know, that is in a completely unpressurized situation, you know, and where people have come unstuck, they then agreed to do weddings. OK, and where you're in the middle of a wedding, it's in a very pressurized situation. You've got not a lot of control over what's going on. Um, and I know someone who had taken on a wedding they'd been you know done really good photography and they were taking on this wedding I said look be really careful with it um and they rang me from I presume I think it was the toilets halfway through because suddenly their camera had got on a setting and they couldn't work out how to get it off wow right so I talked them through it and that is a classic story because when you're sat in a non-pressurized thing and your camera's suddenly not working how you think it is you'll actually, your mind will just look at it and you work it out. But when you're in that pressurised situation, we've all been it, whether it's photography or anything, if you're in a pressurised situation, suddenly your mind goes. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, very different discipline where you suddenly, you know, you might suddenly be outside taking some pictures, you know, outside the church um, and everything is going fine and it suddenly starts raining. So you've got two minutes to finish those pictures um, and, you, you know, you've got to think on your feet and, and particularly with weddings, <laughs> you can't ask people to come back next week. No. Um, and, and that's what I'd say. And the other thing is so much unless you're unless you're going to become a product photographer, even, even then it's, it's it's true. But if you're doing anything involving people, half of it is, you know, making a connection very quickly with those people. And. I've collected a sort of, you know, informal list of, I've, I always, when I meet people that got married, and they may have got married 30 years ago, I've always actually said to them, how is your wedding photography? And sometimes it's brilliant, but I've collected a list of things that have gone wrong. And, and often it is the wedding photographer is just a bit miserable. 
you know, when things aren't going quite right. And, and I mean, that's the other key. If, if anything goes wrong when you're doing a professional job, you never, ever show it. Yeah. Right. You know, you could be in the biggest mess you've ever been in. But if you show it, you've got problems. But if you just carry on as if everything's normal, people will keep confidence in you. Yeah. And it's awesome. So to answer your question, it's a very long answer. But what I'd say to people is being a professional photographer is so much more than being able to take good pictures. Yeah. Great you know, explanation, Ken. And and yeah, I think for any business owner, especially where they are going to be customer facing, you know, there are going to be times when you have just got to get a grip, so to speak, rise above the problem that's going on in your mind mm -hmm. so that you present as somebody that is confident and knows what they're mm -hmm. talking about when it comes to being in front of the customer. So that's the that's what I call the mind side. It's more than just being able to take photographs. It's about dealing with customers, working under pressure, all that jazz. In terms of the technical side, what as a minimum would they need to get started in terms of their kit? Because they've probably um, got a camera, but that might yeah, be all. Yeah, I mean, you, you need, I mean, it, it's interesting. You, you don't need a huge amount of kit. And there's a certain, I mean, I do sort of, you know, um, weddings in register offices. And as you well know, a register office is a bit of a conveyor belt. You know, you've got one coming in. If you do it in some of them, it's actually quite hilarious because you get all these guests mingling together and you suddenly realise you're taking photos of the guests <laughs> from the last wedding, not, not yours. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. But you'll often see other photographers. They're doing the last one. They're being, and, and, you know, you often see the, you know, wedding photographer turning up with this huge amount of kit. They've sort of got, you know, a giant suitcase on wheels and something over their shoulder. And I often look at that and I think, you know, well, OK, that's that's all well and good, but they're going to only use a tiny proportion of that. You know, I, I turn up with a little camera bag, you know, a couple of cameras and three lenses um, because it's all, all I ever need. And I think there's a certain amount of thing that, photographers feel that they need to turn up with all this kit because that's the expectation yeah. you know you have all this kit and I, I just never play those games you know if, if I just need one lens of the camera that's what I turn up with um, so so there's that don't get carried away but you just need you know you need a good camera right you don't need to spend the earth on it um, you know again you'll you know people will go out and buy pay five grand on a camera well it doesn't make them a better photographer no. you need a camera that you're absolutely at home with and again you know this is where people go wrong they set up as a photographer and they bought this camera last week you know you you, you need it needs the camera needs to become part of you yeah. you know and you you know so and again it's, it's what the example i gave is when something goes wrong Right. And you suddenly look at the picture and think, well, that doesn't look right. You need immediately to know. I know why that is. It's so you need to have taken a lot of pictures. Um, there's a, there's an old adage in photography that um, people don't get their style till they've taken 10,000 pictures. And you need to have got to that sort of level before you suddenly take commercial jobs on. And you need to have done done the one done a lot of stuff where things do go wrong. And you think, ah, oh, yeah, I know that's that's so and so. Um, but you, you only really need, you need a couple of cameras in case one goes wrong and, you know, two or three lenses so that, you know, the, the, the equipment, you don't need a vast amount of equipment. 
The, the equipment is is the least important thing about being a photographer. Right. And what about editing afterwards? Any specialist yeah, so, kit I mean, that's, that's to invest in? Thing. Yeah, because obviously in the old days you did film, you know, you took all the films and just sent them off to be developed. So editing is very important now because, you know, with digital cameras, they will produce... Um, People say that they like to take in, you know, is out of the camera is what they take. And in the film days, you could do that. Nowadays, with digital cameras, a digital camera will do a lot of processing before you even see the picture on the back of the camera. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, digital digital editing editing is very important. So some of it is just um, you don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to do a huge amount. It's not like a Photoshop thing where you're, you know, taking this out of the background and stuff. So some of it is just things like contrast, exposure, brightness, um, you know, just getting, you know, the colours to look right. Um, but another, you know, another absolute key is cropping, right? And cropping an image to get it right is, is probably more important than anything. And, and you know, I will often shoot quite wide so I can cr- crop afterwards. And I've, I've got this belief that a lot of people, you know, like amateurs take pictures and look at them and think, oh, that hasn't worked. And one of the keys is to be able to look at a photo and say, right, as a photo, that doesn't work. But if you crop it there, it's actually a brilliant photo. Yeah. Um, and again, all of this, and I tell you now, all of this is experience. You know, it's going back to the 10,000 pictures, you know. Um, and it's so much about photography. You know, it's not any of the, the kit you've got. It's instinct. You know, you will get an instinct for where a good picture might be. And then you take it. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. So, you know, I always I always think so much of photography is about instinct. You know, it's the instinct to know that over there that there's a picture over there, particularly when you're dealing with people. Um, and it's the instinct of looking at a photo when you've when you've taken it and, and seeing a photo within that that you won't, you know, that doesn't stand out. And I've got this saying about instinct that everyone's born with, you know, skills it's like language people are good at languages aren't they and yeah. you know I, I take years to learn a language and you're born with a certain instinct but that only gets you so far and with photography I've got this phrase you need to train your instinct you need to train your instinct to be a million times better than it is so you see all these things and the only way you do that is by taking lots and lots of photographs and then being a brutal editor on your own photos um, don't ask other people. It's, it's useful to have one mentor that really knows what they're doing, but never. When as soon as you show your pictures to other people, they say, "Oh, that's brilliant," and stuff like that, and it'll just confuse you. You, you, you edit them yourselves, and pictures. The best pictures work because everything in the picture comes together, right? And again, it's just instinct of watching what's going on and seeing it. But when you're taking the pictures, you've got no time to think about any of that. It's, it's just training your instinct and you will get sort of good pictures. But that that's where the 10,000 photos come in. You yeah. know, I tell, I tell you, if somebody says to me, you know, who is a good photographer? It's no, nothing to do with being professional or not. It's, it's when you can look at their photos and they've developed their own style. And you look at one and you look at the next and you can actually or, or you know, you can suddenly see one and not know who took it and suddenly think, oh yeah, I know who took that because of that style. And the only way you get that is, it goes back to this 10,000 pictures. 
probably yeah. more, but, you know, 10,000 pictures and then you get your style. Yeah, well, it's like the old adage, isn't it? To become a master at something, you need 10,000 hours of experience. Yeah. So, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So if you're out there, you've got a passion for photography, um, you want to turn that into a business, then, of course, your cameras, your lenses. But as Ken says, you don't need a shed load of them and certainly not a suitcase to roll with them. You're going to need something to do some editing of your photographs afterwards. Mm. So a computer is going to be good and the relevant software. And then I'm assuming these days you send them as digital images to the client, Ken, these days, or do you get them printed for them? No, it, it's quite interesting. One of the things that is, you know, um, I mean, again, use weddings example. I mean, that's only a small part of what I do, but they're a good, good sort of example is um, up until a few years ago, wedding photographers used to make a lot of their money from sort of getting them printed and producing albums. Yeah. Um, that is that almost that's disappeared completely. So what people want is the digital images and that's just, you know, a, 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 a download link basically. So you give them the download link and they go off and, and you know, then they've got the pictures, they can share them and, and stuff. But the one interesting thing is, and I met someone recently, who I photographed their wedding three years ago because it's so cheap now to get, printing online you can just send them off get them printing and i always say if you know it's it's if people want them printed it's, it is actually cheaper for you to do it yourself yeah. um or you can get an album and put the album and people always say right no we'll put our own out al- you know wedding album together it's so cheap to do and i'll quote them sometimes and say look you know this is how much if you want me to put it together they say no you know we'll we'll just do it ourselves and the classic and i met this lady who i photographed three years ago and she just laughed and said you were so right about the album, right? We can do it ourselves. It's very cheap. Three years on, have we done it? No. Exactly. You know, and it's that sort of thing you never get round to. So I always say to people, look, you know, I will do the album. You choose the pictures you want. I'll do the album. It will cost you so much. Um, and they'll always say no. But I, I can guarantee that probably most of the people that have said that to me over the last few years haven't got their album done yeah but and and again i'm guessing photographers price according to the fact they're not printing for these for people these days so so there you are you've got your logistics for the things you know about but like any business you're gonna have to think about how do i market what i'm doing you're gonna have to get out there so business networking if you're interested in wedding photography i'm guessing wedding fairs would be a good place to go and pop up a stand it is. I mean, again, you you need to find your own own sort of niche of, of you know, because that's the other thing. You know, it's easy to say I'm a photographer, you know, and, and but you, you need almost to say, you know, what sort of photographer are you? Yeah. You know, rather than I'm just a jack of all trades. So, you know, my, my style of photography is very documentary, very informal. So obviously it leads itself to events. So I do, yeah. you know, a lot of events where people just want that recorded you know and 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 it should be an event and it's the same with with weddings you know they're used you know it used to be all wedding photographers were the same you know whereas now they are very very different so it's you know but the problem with wedding photography is there are now hundreds out there because a lot of people are part-time at the weekend and in the in the photography industry those people annoy some people because they can undercut prices by quite a long way simply because they're not relying on they're it. not relying on the income and, and, and for anyone getting married i'd say you know you, you go and get five quotes for wedding photography and you'll have hundreds of pounds in difference in in the quotes 
Um, so, you know, I, my, my, my wedding, photographer, I mean, my strap line for wedding photography is I'm a, I'm for couples who want a photographer at their wedding and not a wedding photographer. Yeah. I love that strap line. I've heard that from you before. It's brilliant. Yeah, and, and that sums up. So if somebody says to me, you know, we want the traditional soft focus, you know, sort of in the sunset, I say, you know, that's, that's just not, not me. And, and more and more, it's lucky more and more people do actually want just a photographer to record the day yeah you know hardly any if any lineup shots at all so you know you're almost the invisible photographer just going around um so i'd say to anyone get you know you, you need to a get your style and your style will find you and that style will probably lead to the sort of photographer you're going to be you know and if you've got a very technical style then you're more likely to be a studio photographer where you're so, I mean, you know, you've got a studio, you do all the lighting and stuff. If you've got a more sort of, did say, sort of creative, informal style, then you're probably going to be more of the event photographer yeah. where you've got no control over anything that's happening. You're just you taking know. life as yeah. it happens. And, and some of that comes from your personality. It's like any anything, isn't it? Your personality yeah. leads. You know, I always say as a, as a parent, you know, you parent very much based on your personality. And it's the same as a photographer. You know, your personality would lead you to the type of photographer you are. Yeah. So there you go, guys. You've got the skills already. You just need to get a bit more experience. You've got your kit. Now it's like any other business. It's go and make sure you get support or knowledge in marketing, selling and operating your business, because that's the same as any other business. That has been brilliant, Ken. So tell everybody how they can get hold of you, where they reach you and whereabouts in the UK you operate. Right. Well, I'm I'm actually based in Portishead, which is in North Somerset, um, which is near near Bristol. Um, but I, I, I basically work anywhere in the UK, um, you know, de depending on the job. Um, and people can get hold of me from my website, which is www.kenabbott.co.uk with two B's and two T's. Yeah, we'll um, get that in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, if, if you could do so, that's the, you know, the easiest way you can find me on, on um, Facebook, you know, Ken Abbott Photography again. You know, and that's the easiest way, way to get hold of me, just, you know, drop me an email or, or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, we can have a chat. I always I always say to people, I'm quite happy just to talk photography with people. So, um, you know, if, if you've got a photography job that you need, whether it's a wedding or whatever, I'm quite happy to point people in the right direction, even if, you know, I'll be honest and say, you know, my style isn't what you're looking for. Yeah. But this is what you need to think about. Um, I, I actually, because I realized I had so much knowledge in my head, I've written, written, started writing some guides. So I've got a guide to choosing a wedding photographer, um, which is very useful for people if you're just thinking about it. And it's actually it, it included in that is a lot of this I've learned about where people have been unhappy with the photographer they chose. And it's because yeah. they just not thought through things. Um, and, and again, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. In 1970, in the whole of Bristol, there were six professional photographers. But there's a few uh, more now. Years ago, there was just six professional photographers in Bristol. I would say you could probably find long streets in Bristol now that have six professional photographers yeah, in. You know, so the, the, the choice is just, you know, unbelievable. 
So yeah. you need, to, particularly for big things like, a, you know, an event you're holding or a wedding or whatever, you do need to really give it some thought. Yeah. So that's where your marketing and your networking is going to help yeah. you. So that has been absolutely delightful, Ken. Thank you. As always, we're going to finish with a couple of quick fire questions on you. Um, and I'd say the first one has got to be digital or film and why? Digital from a commercial point of view, just simply because, you know, you, you've got so much more control. You know, if you're doing an event or whatever, you can actually see what you're taking on the back. Whereas if you're using film, you've got to sort of take it and then hope for the best, yeah. if you like. Pray. Um, <laughs> from an artistic point of view, if, if film is still, probably still better. You know, you know the arguments about, you know, you know digital music. Yeah, or CD or old-fashioned records. Old records yeah. yeah, so from an artistic point of view, film is, is still better. But from a commercial point of view, the practicalities make digital the, the yeah. choice. Cool. Now, I know you're a keen gardener, so flowers or vegetables uh, and that's why? That's interest, interesting. Gardening is my my new passion because whereas photography was my hobby and now it isn't anymore. Um, so I I would say vegetables. I'm, I'm growing. I, I'm for people that remember the good life this will this will yeah. resonate i've our back garden is is artificial grass for the boys to play football on so i'm actually turning our front garden into a vegetable patch i don't know what the neighbors think about it but um so i'm going to be growing vegetables in the i'm still learning how to do it but def, definitely vegetables or although i, I say that i'm going to have an area of it which is going to be a wild wild flowers for for, for the insects Brilliant. I know I picked four spring onions out my tubs the other day, my first grow your own. I was quite proud of myself. <laughs> Going back to your, your beginnings, as it were, and your history, ancient or modern and why? Oh, God, that's a good question. Pro um, pro pro probably modern, simply because I, there's so much more documentation about it and you can you can find, you know, I'm very... I'm very interested in in the Second World War, for example, but not not the war itself. I, I just find the whole social side of it and how people live, partly because my mum and dad lived through it. So I've got a real sort of connection to it. Um, but I, I do have a, a sort of uh, quite an interest in archaeology. I think, you know, finding out um, like if you go to uh, Orkney, for example, where you've got places like Scarborough Bray and stuff where people lived and it's, you know, there's bits you can look at. I find that fascinating as well, even though it's tantalising because, you know, you're, you're making guesses from what they yeah. left behind because there's no, you know, obviously no documents. Brilliant. Love it. And the question I always end with, and that is sweat, grit or hustle, which one resonates and why? Sweat, grit or hustle? Um, probably grit I think you really need that sort of thing to, to succeed, even in a, you know, a creative sort of industry, that sort of, you know, underlying thing, obviously sweat, hard work is, is everything, but I think grit is, is grit gives you the staying power. I think. Brilliant. Ken, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, if you're out there and you want to turn a passion into a profession, Go do it. Go do your homework around what you need from business schools basis. But if you've got it in you, 
go and look and start making moves and taking actions into turning your passion into profit, so to speak. But as Ken said earlier, don't sack your job in one go. Try and transition it in so that you're not leaving yourself open to income problems. We will see you next week. To keep up with what we're doing and what's coming on Sweat, Grit and Hustle, do visit us at www.sweatgrithustle.com. Hustle.com.